Yeah, up. I'm up. <laughs> <laughs> He's running up and down the stairs right now. I'm exhausted. Oh, my <laughs> um, so on today's wonderful episode of Spit, we've got NVS Fins and RealWaterSports.com supporting our work. Man, I've been riding a lot of different boards lately, and thank God for my NVS Fins. I'll tell you what. I'm so good to be able to throw something trustworthy into some of these designs, which some of these boards have been riding not so good, but the fins I can count on. You need a common denominator so that you can set a basis of expectation. Right. Foundational perfection with the NVS fins. It's funny. I was emailing with those guys, Jamin and Leif, and uh, they asked, how are the fins doing? And I was like, it's funny. I mean, I, it's understandable that they would ask that question, but my answer was like, they're in the exact same condition they were when you sent me my first pair three years ago. Indestructible. Yeah. Pristine. Exactly. You know, exactly. Uh, which is a nice thing to be able to rely on. So surfnvs.com. Um, as you know, we're giving away a free scrubber on yeah. June 1st. I got my free scrubber right behind me. And I'm running oh, rad. C drives in him. I was this close to buying a free scrubber off the rack the other day. I'm going to loan you this one so you don't need to buy one. I was on the hunt for a surfboard and, and I knew what I wanted. But if, but if you let me loose in a surf shop, all of a sudden I want all sorts of different boards that weren't really what I went in there for. Totally. You're like a kid in a candy shop. We all know that. Um, well, I got this one off the Blem rack at CI. Yeah. And uh, there's, Devin said there's like a little bit of a, like a little shatter on the rail or something. I haven't even been able to find it. So it looks brand new to me. Looks good to me. Yeah. Blems are a good way to go. Cause more often than not, you're, you know, it's like, where's, Where's Waldo? You know, you can't find a little blem. Exactly. Looks blem free. Um, so anyways, surfnvs.com for your fin needs. And then they're also available at realwatersports.com, um, which is a wonderful retail partner. They just got 800 boards into in new boards into inventory. If you can believe that a bunch of Pizels, um, everything from like shortboards to paddle guns, that paddle act that he makes, um, I saw a bunch of lost surfboards, everything from Grom boards all the way up. And then a uh, bunch of Maurice Coles. So they've got a ton of everything for everybody at the moment. Yeah. You know, funny story. I was, I was on the hunt for the, this, this little quad fin fish thing that I'm looking for. And I went to all these different shops and at some point, Chris Christensen texted me just like when I was looking for boards. And I was like, dude, I'm looking for a board, blah, blah, blah. And he sends me a link to Tom Carroll and somebody else in Australia, like the host of this show, whatever, whatever the show is. It's some show where the guy like takes pro surfers out and they try boards out together. It's a pretty cool show. I wish I knew the name. I can't remember. And it's, and it's Tom riding one of Chris's boards. And it was called, it's a, it's a quad fin. I forget the name of it. But. So Chris is like, dude, you should just get one of these. And I'm like, killer, where can I get one? And he's like, well, we probably have one at the factory. Just call John. 
So I called John. He's like, well, we got to 5'4". And I'm like, oh, I need a 5'11 or something. And finally, I just go, you know what? I'm going to log on to Real Water Sports and just see what's up. And I log on to Real Water Sports. And sure enough, they've got like 15 of these boards. Oh. Let me see if I can get the name of this. Board. Oh, Mykonon. Like That's a, right. a Mykonon. And not Micronaut? No, no, Micronaut. 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 And, um, and sure enough, they've got a bunch of boards. And um, I didn't pull the trigger because Chris is like, look, just call John and order a custom one and I'll get you one. So I got a custom one of those coming. But I'm kind of, I, I need a board now, you know? That's like the I, thing. The custom's great, except you'll get it in two months. Whereas you could just get it from real water sports right now. Right. And so the good news is, they had plenty of plenty of boards there that I wanted, and they were ready to ship them to me. Man, I was close to pulling the trigger. If I hadn't gotten a text from Chris, like, you know, just order one. I'll get you one. Don't worry. We'll get it done fast, blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, I'm psyched. But Real Water Sports, they had them, and I was super close to pushing the button, man. And I'd have that board right now. Well, for listeners that don't have Chris Christensen on speed dial or on a text thread, uh, realwatersports.com is obviously an epic option and uh, they can get the fins there too from NVS fins. You know, the thing about real water sports, that's, that's, I don't know, maybe the best thing is they have all the boards that I want. Like I they've got boards from Matt. They've got boards from Chris. They've got boards from Pat Ross and they've got all the, they've got um, Pizels. Like they've got such a good inventory of solid stuff, you know, like they've really done a good job of curating what's available to the public. Well, Tripp's been a longtime listener to our podcasts. And so he just buys boards from whoever we interview. You know, the waves have been kind of meaty and kind of chunky windswell around here lately. Yeah. I'm pretty solid. And um, I swear, sometimes I just go back. So I have this 6'6 Pat Ross and Impala. That's just such a solid surfboard. Like when I ride it, I just go, you know what? This is one of those boards that if I only had one board for the rest of my life, this could be it. Totally. You know, six, six. Like I could ride it in the summer. I could ride it in the winter. I could ride, take it on trips. Yeah. You know, and, and it just feels like there's no, I bought a couple new boards recently and I'm not going to say who, but I will say this, they're EPS and I hate EPS. I'm anti EPS. Me personally, well, I just you can't ride them. They don't, they don't, I don't know what they don't do, but they don't do what I like. <laughs> <laughs> You've had the theory or the opinion and those recent boards have only validated what you thought. Yeah. 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 Well, at any rate, listeners, thanks for the love and the support from surfnvs.com and realwatersports.com. See some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, freaking guy. Holy yeah, guy. You know what? Somebody said, yeah, guy to me this morning in the water. No way. Yeah. One of our listeners, longtime Incredible. listener named Mike. And he had his 
adios and aloha t-shirt as well what up mike yeah mike i saw i saw an adios and aloha t-shirt on longtime listener teva at a coffee shop two or three days ago you know what the people that are fashionably hip know what's going down and it's audio aloha t-shirts totally i walked in and ordered my coffee turn around and made eye contact with him and he's like dude look at my shirt so pretty cool yeah mike and i had a good little chat in the water we got to surf fun little beach break all to ourselves for about an hour and it was a good workout man the current was running and we were busy paddling and um he's a longtime listener from north county has a cool little business well, you, you know what um, I decided, I told you a couple of weeks ago, I had that horrible session that where I just regressed back to like day one of learning how to surf. It was, it was kind of a mental thing, I think more than anything, but I literally would be paddling into a wave and didn't know what to do next. Like didn't know how to get to my feet, just a full on lapse for the entire session. And um, thankfully it's all come back in one fell swoop, but the mindset I've had recently is I'm just going to go out and get a workout in. I'm not going to focus. I don't care. I've accepted. I'm now a novice again at surfing. So I have no expectation to actually perform, but like you said, there's been a bunch of current running. It's pretty windy. And I think, you know what? I'm out of the house. I need to just get in the water. I need to get in the cold water and I need to do some paddling if I get a wave, great, but I really just need to focus on the exercise. And then inevitably, because I've shifted my mindset and set really low expectation, I actually end up having fun and getting waves. But more importantly, I get the workout in. Oh, there's abs- that's absolutely crucial. You know, that's crucial. Just the, the whole thing has got to be, I'm going to get a workout. I'm going to get wet. I always feel better. Each and every one of us feels totally. better when we get out of the water. I'm going to get the heart rate going. I might catch my one buddy is like three waves, just catch three set waves and call it good. You know, like totally. And maybe there's some gravy on top of that. And um, yeah, that's important. You know, low expectations. Well, part of my um, resetting has been this channel islands, free scrubber. It's the perfect board for me. It's from the moment you hold it under your arm, the foam distribution, the outline, everything, the low entry rocker, everything about it. I'm like, man, this thing feels good. And then I got laid on it. My first few paddles, just the way that it sits under me in the water felt great, you know? And I'm like, man, this is kind of, maybe it's because of the era I grew up in, you know, and I was seeing Tom Curran ride those or something. Um, but I don't know, it's just the perfect board for me. And I've been having an absolute blast on, I feel like it's my one board quiver moving forward. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that because I've had some shockers lately. Yeah. Man, some EPS shockers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I have a couple of follow-ups from last week that I want to just touch on real quickly. Yeah. I gave you just a half a sec because I want to go grab some. Okay. Okay. I'm back. Okay. I gave you that story last week about uh, the kerfuffle between Zeke Lau and uh, Jacob Wilcox. Yeah. And all of that, that I said, uh, still remains as true, except one little detail, which was, I said, Zeke burned Jake on the wave that was filmed and Zeke flipped the board. It was actually a listener wrote in and said, actually 
Jake took off on Zeke as retribution from all of the other stuff that I then explained. Um, and he sent video footage of the entire wave being written, not just the beginning. So that's one detail that needed to be corrected. And the other thing is I was saying in episode one of Make or Break, I felt like Tyler Wright was trying to kind of revise, create a revisionist history on her stance on pipeline. Well, her surfboard shaper, John Pizel, texted me to tell me that I'm trying to revise Tyler Wright's revision. And I'm in fact incorrect and included wave a wave of Tyler Wright uh, at backdoor pulling into a big eight foot closeout, uh, which I still stand by my opinion. I'm like, Pizel, I get it. I know why. Like, I think that there's a lot of nuance in this discussion. And, uh, but just for the record, he's, he's claiming that her version of the events in episode one of Make or Break is accurate. All right. So well, fair enough. You know I'm gonna what? Have I, it out. I'm going to have it out with him on. It on sounds air. We're like gonna, you are. Oh, good. Yeah, you guys are, we're uh, we're going to do a one-on-one and we'll figure it out. But oh, I stand by my version. I'm going to have to go back and look at the tape over the last couple of years, but I stand by it. That's so. Yeah, we're good. We'll see what goes down. <clears throat> I'm sure that John's not too pleased with my opinions of what I recall, just what my memory, what I remember from that pipe event that moved from Honolulu Bay was that Tyler won it and it was just not impressive what right. she did. Now that was in the final. He's probably showing you something from a semifinal or a quarterfinal or something. Well, in the wave that I, that he did send, she didn't make, it was a closeout, but the re- he's like, the reality is she's packing a huge closeout, you know, bigger than what I would surf. Certainly. Um, well, that's not really the, the question though. She's a professional uh, surfer. Thank you very much. Chalk up a point for me. Uh, But I think what's funny is you said my memory of it. And that's the reality is all of our memories are tainted by our own perspective and our old worldview and how we feel about Tyler Wright going into that event and just everything. Um, And so we all remember things differently, right? So him giving his version, I'm like, well, I see from your side, but I also still see my side. And um, yeah, so it's interesting. It kind of speaks to how difficult it must be to be a judge because all these preconceived biases and prejudices that you and I have going in while we watch people surf, those things exist with the judge, with the judges too. And as much as they might say, Hey, and I, and I, and by the way, I'm sure they're very objective and they do go into it and put those things to the side subconsciously that stuff comes into play. And that's the bummer how, how about, could a, it not? about a subjective nature of judging. You know, it's just, it's a bummer it's a futile effort to try to make surfing judging surfing objective. Um, You wouldn't get into judging unless you loved surfing immensely. And if you love surfing immensely, innately, you have your favorite surfers. It's just inherent in loving surfing. And so if you love John, John, and that's why you're into surfing, John, John paddles out in a heat. How do you divorce yourself from all of that to make it subjective? You can't. Fuel effort. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right. And, um, you know, I I will say this, that, and we've said it before, the judging overall, I mean, it's a tough task. It's a tough duty. And for the, you know, they more or less, they do a pretty damn good job. I know there's a few flaws here and there, you know, there's a few floater gates. Yeah. Name the year floater gate. Who was it? Where was it? It was in Brazil. It was Adriana de Souza. I want to say it was 2007. Wow. 
really that far? I was going to say like 2014 or something. I have no idea. I'm just <laughs> guessing. Okay. I got the location in the surfer though, right? Sure. It wasn't Jadson. Well, I remember Owen Wright did a big air reverse and then Adriano needed a score and he did a big backside floater and got the score. And so everybody complained that the air reverse should have been scored higher than the floater. Yeah. Yeah. But if you watch that footage, again, memory, if memory serves me, it's not just an air versus a floater. It's how gnarly was the air and the air wasn't that gnarly and how gnarly was the floater and the floater was gnarly. The floater was over this like crazy double up barreling closeout section, you know? Mm. And so it, I think it got like an 8.17 or something. And I don't know, can a floater get an eight point ride? If they, <laughs> if it can, that should be the one that does, you know? Uh, exactly. Speaking so. of Pizel, you know, who's been interesting me as I watched some of the snapper event is this hmm. American surfer, Nolan Raposa. Yeah, I know Nolan. I'm pretty psyched on this kid. So he lives, he grew up in Long Beach right near me. So he came up surfing. He was on Quicksilver with Kanoa uh, and that little crew in that same age group. Um, certainly didn't have all of the potential or, you know, um, posed on him, imposed yeah. on him that Kanoa and everybody else had. But yeah, he's he shreds for sure. Well, they all shred. I was more stoked on just kind of like his character on the beach, like who he was as a person. He was, he was um, I don't know, he just seemed real honest and real kind of, you know, excited and bubbly and on it like he did you see the heaty one at the last minute yesterday no but i see that he's got a heat with julian wilson later oh, today oh okay that's going to be one to watch right there i'm yeah. going to check that out but anyway nolan rides for john and um and i was stoked to see that i was stoked to see that john has a bunch of guys in the in the event doing well at least one that i know of good hey, i didn't know that he was riding john's board speaking of Pizel, look yeah. what look what somebody sent me no way yeah that's insane. That's not Paisel, though, is it? No, it's Matt Violas. Yeah. Lost Surfboards, the last yeah. crusade, a surfing odyssey of biblical proportions. Look at this beautifully um, bound book. I saw that advertised. I, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. It says, Scott, thank you for putting surfboards up on a pedestal. Enjoy the celebration of surfing and adventure, Matt Violas. It's a cool ass book that Matt sent me. And I just wanted to give a shout out to the lost crew and to Matt and, uh, and the whole, the whole guy, all this, all the guys over there, Ben and um, Mike, Riola, everyone stoked on this thing. Thank you guys. I'm stoked on this book. So the book, it looked, I think the book was an accompaniment to the trip. Yeah. um, Reckless isolation trip that Chloe and Dino put together with, Four of his four or five of his friends, uh, the Colapintos, Ian Crane, Luke Davis, and yep. am I forgetting anybody? Um, probably, and I am too. But I, I, I got. I think yeah. that might be it. Griffin, really- Griffin, and Crosby. Um, and so they obviously toured that film, and then they took all the high quality imagery that would have existed in magazines previously, and they put it together into a coffee table book. And the motif that they built around the whole project is kind of this old English Knights of the round table kind of thing. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a surf trip of biblical proportions. I mean, it's hilarious. Yeah. But it's like really well done. All the artwork, all the art direction for everything is just incredibly well done. And like you said, the book itself is like 
leather bound, um, yeah. no expense spared. I have no idea what that thing retails for, but it's um, it's a beautiful project. That's for sure. It looks killer. And you're right. It basically is just a glorious magazine with no ads. It's just all color, all high gloss imagery, you know, words, blah, blah, blah. So I'm excited to check it out. I'm super they, stoked. They have it available for sale somewhere. So the last crusade, I Google think it. it's at the um, icons of surf up in San Clemente, I believe. Okay. Yeah. But I'm sure they could, you could buy it online too. Cause yeah. Yeah. I did see an email about it at some point. Um, another thing following up from last week, we were talking about the waves of the stars and really harping on that as we do periodically. Uh, one astute listener wrote in and said, there's an acronym twats. This is the twats <laughs> tour. <laughs> we're going to have to move away from that acronym. <laughs> You know the what? Waves well, that's the, Australia, the, stars. the Australian surf journalists can take that and run with it. And I know they will. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm not, that's not highly marketable. And it, and it also presumes by the acronym that there won't be women on the tour at all. <laughs> <that's> just, <laughs> <laughs> but it's good, right? It's, it's pretty good. Um, and then <laughs> Shukin also called in. We haven't heard from Shukin for a while. Would you like to hear from him? Yeah, Shukin. All right. Aloha, David and Scott. Shukin uh, here. Just a quick one about um, totally agree the waves are the star. And I also agree that we want to see uh, people in waves of consequence. I'm just curious about the man versus nature, woman versus nature. I understand the headline, but I wonder as surfers, is it more deeper meaning of man or woman merges with nature? So do you like conquer a mountain or do you ascend the mountain? All the great waves. I mean, look at John John. He just, he merges with it. Kelly at sunset said he didn't respect the waves, so the wave didn't respect him. Just curious your thoughts. I think you understand where I'm going with this um, as two intuitive beings. Much respect, much love. Thank you, guys. Aloha. It was a very Shukin-esque phone call. Well, that was cool. And I, and I think, um, you know, really, when you think about it, when you ascend a mountain, um, you know, there's... Look, man versus nature, the reason that you and I love it is that from sort of a simple, simpleton standpoint, it creates conflict and all good stories have conflict and they have resolution. So the versus, the VS is the thing that says, okay, we've got conflict between these two entities. Now, when you ascend a mountain, there is conflict. The ascension doesn't just happen. You've got to go out and step by step, make your way up without the billy goats eating you. And the same with in the ocean, you know, um, when you merge with a wave, which I think is a wonderful way to look at it and really is a way that we should all look at surfing or I'm not going to tell you how to look at surfing, but I'm going to look at surfing as a merging of myself with the wave, which, you know, speaks to all the great stylists in the world, Tom Kern, Dave Rostovich, Rob Machado, Jerry Lopez, the list is long and, and very uh, you know, noteworthy. All of these guys are merging. Kelly, of course, as Shukin mentioned, these guys are merging with the wave, but that doesn't eliminate the conflict. To merge with the wave, stuff has to occur. You know, Now, maybe that's not like hyper-conflicted, 
but I maybe we're kind of, you know. Well, I think the misunderstanding on Shukin's behalf is that by using the term versus, it implies that man or woman might beat mother nature. And that's not the way that I've ever used it. I think anytime, whether it's surfing or climbing the mountain, inherent in the verses is that you can never win mother nature at best you can merge uh you can yeah you can be accepted by her you know you can meet her at where she stands but you can never actually beat mother nature and so man versus nature is just we're hoping to get to zero we're hoping to work our way up to just like meeting mother nature at some point but and that's that's enlightenment, you know. But no, yeah. I agree with him. We will absolutely the surfer will never beat the wave. Yes, that's I love what you can mention. The whole merging thing makes tons yeah. of sense. Totally. But if I'm a marketer for the WSL, it's going to be man versus nature. And if then they we listen. Will, if they listen to us, that it will be. And then we. And then we would explain what Shukin just explained. Yeah. That, um, you know, yeah. Totally. Um, we referenced the Challenger series. Is there, I've got a couple of topics on that if you want to do that now. Yeah. Okay. Let's go there. Challenger series. So, Snapper, they're running the first event of, um, it looks like eight, I guess, eight Challenger series events. And obviously it is the Boost Mobile Gold Coast Pro, 96 male competitors. I forget how many is on the women's side in total, uh, but it's a, it's a large field compared to what we're used to watching in a CT event, but it's a smaller field than what we had seen in previous iterations of qualifi- qualifier series events. One thing that I, and the waves have been very good by the way, and Snapper's a great wave and it's wonderful to see it again. Um, One thing that I think that they really nailed with this was the quick turnaround time between Margaret River and the Challenger Series event. This allows them to capitalize on your and my interest in these surfers before our interest wanes. And so often our interest wanes. You know, they end, let's say, the Ultimate Surfer TV show. And then months and months and months go by before you ever see the winners of that show compete in an event. Um, and then they have to kind of restate who Tia uh, Blanco even is before she surfs because we've all forgotten or the general viewers forgotten. This is a great way where we immediately see Joao fall off tour. We see Connor Coffin fall off tour. We see Zeke Lau fall off tour, Sammy Pupo, and then bang, they're already in in an event next week and actually winning heats again. And you get the idea, the hope of maybe Joao can re-qualify now, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, you you bring up a great point and um, I'm certainly interested in this event. I'm surprised. I'm surprised at myself for being so engaged at like two o'clock in the afternoon, wondering if the event's going to run. Yeah. And regarding man versus nature today, especially this is finals day. They're running it now. And it's got this incredible current, lots of wind. And there is this element that it's man versus nature. And I'm wondering if that's part of the reason why I'm so intrigued with this. It's, it's lumpy. It's difficult to surf today. It is by no means perfect snapper, but there's plenty of scoring potential and plenty of good rides being had. Uh, but the current, you know, the, just thought that whole part of it kind of makes me go, yeah, cool. You know, like this is a struggle. I see a struggle happening here. Well, it's relatable. It's similar to the waves that you described earlier in the show. 
that you've been surfing. Absolutely. You know? um, the thing I love about Snapper too is you don't know which wave is going to be the right wave when they take off. Sometimes you see a guy stand up on a wave that's half the size of what you saw somebody else get. And that thing grows and it turns into the runner, you know, and it starts doubling up. And so local knowledge is a huge help at Snapper. You know, you mentioned um, this ability for the WSL to sort of keep us engaged and keep us going and, and having this event right after uh, the event in WA. And um, I, I put together a little bit of um, data on what happened. Do you know that the new surfers from the 2022 tour the surfers that were new, do you know which ones of those made the cut? Which of those surfers made the cut? Uh, not off the top of my head. Well, Connor O'Leary, Jake Marshall, Caleb Robson, Samuel Pupo, Nat Young, and Jackson Baker. Of the new guys, those are the guys that made the cut. Now, there um, are... Connor, Connor O'Leary and Nat Young weren't on tour the previous year, but they have been on tour in the past. So not right. officially rookies, but yeah. No, not rookies. I'm saying new to the CT in 2022, though. Gotcha. Veteran guys who were on the CT in 21, who missed the cut, Morgan Sibilic, Connor Coffin, Zeke Lau, Leonardo Fioravante, Frederico Marias, Ryan Callanan, David Silva, Owen Wright. So a couple of those guys are sort of surprises, right, that didn't make but it. The, whether or not they're surprises, I don't miss not any of them. Right. Um, of all of the people who got cut, I think Joao Chianca is the only one who I'm, who I am sad didn't yeah. make the cut. Uh, but I have full faith that he'll be back via the Challenger series and be back stronger. Um, one thing that's interesting to me that I didn't think about in advance, and I'm only realizing it the last couple of weeks is. If you make the cut, you automatically qualify for 2022. So it kind of takes away a certain, uh, wait, what year is it? Oh yeah, 2023 is what I mean. Um, so it takes away a certain amount of drama for this back half of the season, knowing no matter what happens now, everybody who's on tour currently is going to be on tour next season for the first half anyways, you know, it's kind of interesting. I think the cut's a wonderful thing on a bunch of different levels. And what you just brought up is, okay, so you've got, let's say, 10 or 12 guys that are going to qualify for 23. And the first thing I think of is, oh, great, Jiao gets to draw the number one seed each week. And, you know, like, but I look at it, I flip the script on that and I say, you know what, how hungry Jiao is knowing he's only got four events. These guys only have four events to, or four, four or five, whatever the tour is going to be like next year. To, to make the cut and to do damage on these guys and to take out these Connor Coffins of the world that were in the top five last year. Yeah. Uh, one other thing, one and done surfers, guys who were rookies who had never been on the CT. There were only three guys who missed the cut. Three rookies who missed the cut. Can I name them off the top of my head? Yeah, go ahead. Emai e Kalani Duvall. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's the one I would have struggled for. Right, right. Um, Sammy, Pupo, and Joel. Uh... Sammy made the cut. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Okay, then who's the third? Luca. Oh, that's Cenas. right. Yeah. So, of, and you brought it up already, but what I was going to say is, of those three, Jow's the one where we're like, okay, cool. I'd love to see that guy on tour some more. Uh, not that we wouldn't want to see these other guys, but Jow's the one where you're like, okay, this guy, this guy is. We think that he's something special as long as he keeps bringing the same 
mental attitude that he brought. Um, congrats. You deserve a congrats on your local boy, Jake Marshall. No yeah, small feat. Yeah. When you, when you look at Connor O'Leary, Jake Marshall, Caleb Robson, Samuel Pupo, Nat Young, Jackson Baker, those are the guys who made the cut that, that were new to the tour. Jake's the one where you're kind of surprised. Same with Samuel Pupo. I could see all those other guys, although I didn't really know who J Jackson Baker was or Caleb Robeson. But, um, you know, from Caleb my vantage. Final, Caleb final, final this year, though. I mean, that's a huge effort. Yeah. No, just if you started, uh, you know, if you asked me at the beginning of the season, I'd yeah. be like, oh, who knows? Right. Um, I mean, not to take any away anything away from Jake's accomplishment, but he's one that I don't feel – he kind of snuck through. Like there wasn't any performance of his this year that really stood out. I was watching him closely. So I do remember his waves because of you're in my conversation. You know, I remember a couple of his waves at sunset, um, but he snuck through without drawing necessarily the hardest uh, heat draws, not certainly not as hard as Joao's path was, um, but still good on him. And he's got another year on tour from now until next year's cut. So. Yeah. Sunset. He certainly stood out. I think that was the best uh, event he had. Right. Is that right? Or yeah. Did, yeah. Um, another thing about the challenger series event at snapper, Kelly Slater competed in it. Um, not a thrilling performance by any means, but he's writing, I believe it's a Greg Weber and he's writing it as a uh, five fin. It's a quad with a little guitar pick nub in the back. Give me your thoughts on the five fin and have you ridden them? Yeah, I, I have, I rode five fins for a long time and all five of my fins were different. I had a wow. Huge, yeah. Off and the, the back fin was a nubster and um, I'm a fan of that particular board and that particular design worked for me. And I literally was one of the rare times where I had a box of fins on the beach and I was trying them all out. It was an extra asymmetrical, and, and I kind of had to just, you know, dial in the fins and it ended up that they were five different fins that I liked. Carl was like, here, ride this one. You know, he gave me some fins. And so I moved some stuff around and found the perfect little setup and it just ended up being five totally separate fins. Wow. That's yeah. wild. Uh, that's the only board you've ridden as a five fin. Yes. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I've ever ridden one I've had. I mean, I have boards right now that have five boxes in them, but I've never ridden any as a five fin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see what Kelly was riding the outline and stuff. It's looks it's like a swallowtail, you know, um, pointy nose swallow. I mean, he's riding it at snapper, so it's not particularly fishy. It's more short boardy, uh, but I couldn't tell you anything about the contours in it. But again, it's a Greg Weber, so that's interesting in and of itself. Uh, speaking of fins, did you see that footage of Mateus Hurdy, his fin flying out mid-air? No. What oh, my gosh. He's in a heat. He needs a score. He gets the wave he needs. Um, does a big air reverse. And as he's going through the rotation and the, the tail of the board is facing towards shore, mid-flight the fin pops out of the box and goes flying into the air and he lands the rotation spins it the footage that's shown stab magazine posted it on their instagram account and like uh 
you know, kind of close zoomed in slow mode. So you could see the fin go flying out. Um, it shows that he lands and it looks like he rides out of the air, but I think the wave from that point on, he was, uh, not able to surf it to its full potential, of course, because he's missing a fin and didn't get the score that he needed and didn't advance through the heat, uh, due to equipment failure, but I had never seen that before. Yeah. That's a, that's a fresh one. It's a bummer. It is a bummer because I'm a big fan of him, of he, well, of him, of him, of he. I'm a his? big fan of his. I'm a big fan of his. I have a um, feeling. I, well, it be it'd be easy to blame the Finn company. Yeah. I have a feeling that um, user that's error. probably user error, dude. I mean, I even I'm pretty diligent in general in life, and I've paddled out without my fins fully screwed in at times. I've always caught them. Like I flipped the board over and recognized that it's pop halfway popped out, but it could happen to anybody. I think. Yeah. I agree. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I know that you and Chaz touched on this. I don't think you and I spoke about this, but you know, Devin Howard stepping aside, did we? We did not discuss. I know you and you already did a deep dive on it, but I'll just say this, that, um, you know, Devin, of course, told me a long time ago about this, but it was sort of under embargo, so to speak, until the news broke. Um, and I mentioned in my podcast with Devin that the WSL should just abandon the longboard tour altogether, focus on producing a shortboard world title and epic, glorious, perfect waves for the waves of the stars. They don't care about the longboard world tour. Let's just be clear. If they did, they wouldn't be holding a, a longboard event at Manly or a longboard event at Huntington Beach. And it's and Devin stepping aside, you know, the silence is deafening. You know what I mean? Like that's basically him going, these people don't get it. And uh, and I don't think they do, at least in regards to the longboard. And that's okay. There's somebody that will come along and pick that thing up and run with it and do do it justice. But uh, you know, let me ask you what's going to happen. We're going to you know what's going to happen. We're going to see this thing's going to devolve into 
performance competition longboard tour. Yeah. Probably a year and a half or two years. Because if it's eight foot at Huntington Beach, you're not riding a 50-50 log nose rider. It's just not the right board. Even if it's small at Huntington Beach, I could see them uh, scoring high-performance maneuvers, you know? Yeah. Um, so I've got a question for you. Yeah. Uh, you say they don't care about longboarding. Do they care about shortboarding? <laughs> wow. I think they do. I, I think that, I think that, I mean, I'm hoping that they do. I guess I should say, look, I've been engaged all season long. I've been there for every event. There has been at least one day for each event where I'm completely in involved and the waves are good and therefore I'm engaged. And um, different so, question. That's okay. not the question. Do they care I, about shortboard? I mean, I mean, well, here, here's why I ask. I don't think they care about shortboarding. I don't think they care about longboarding. I think they care about the business. And I think that they care. They, we would have to say the Ziffs. And then it trickles down from there. And the management cares about what the owners care about, right? And so they care about ideology, equality. So the ideology that they care about is equality. We want women's uh, surfing to be lifted up and to women athletes to be paid the same as men and all that kind of stuff. That was among the first things that they instituted. So then within that ideology, how do we kind of move the pieces to make sure, and those are noble efforts, by the way, I'm not saying that's the wrong thing, but I think it's wrong of you and I to assume that they actually care about short boarding or that they actually even care about surfing, you know, in the way that you and I do. I don't, and because I don't think they understand it. So I don't think that they were raised in it. They don't understand it. So the longboarding thing, it was just tangential to the main business. And so they never gave it the same, the right amount of attention that it needed and that it deserves and all that kind of stuff, or that Devin would give it. And, um, and so it got mismanaged and a lot of the shortboarding the complaints that you and I raise or criticisms that we complain about the shortboarding is also just a simple fundamental understanding of not understanding surfing, not understanding that the waves are the stars and that it should be man and woman versus nature, you know? So they're kind of imposing the ideology first and then going, Hey, as a business opportunity, the wave pool thing makes a tremendous amount of sense. Missing the initial mission, missing the entire point of why surfing exists in the first place. So if you kind of look at it from that lens, it answers so many of the questions that you and I have at every event throughout the last five years. Um, couple things. I think you're right. I don't think that they're hardcore surfers in the sense of, you know, they were brought up as kids in surf culture. Um, is there enough salt in the building with Jesse Miley Dyer and Dave Prodan and the judges to be able to make a difference from a managed management standpoint? I don't know, but. Well, um, the, and does the upper management even value what those people say? I well, think that's is, my point. I'm not sure yeah. that, that those, the salt in the building has, has a, has a say in any of it, but. And has um, a record of a track record of leaving, by the way. This, the bottom line is, is it's a very, very simple thing here. 
Um, but I will say this, the waves of the stars, you put good surfers in really good ways and you're going to have an audience. It's that simple, you know, just make that happen. And, um, the funny thing about this ideology and the equality and the, these, these things that you bring up is that surfing and sport really, and, but, but let's bring it into surfing is it's a situation where meritocracy is fundamental. When you and I paddle out wherever we paddle out, when any surfer paddles out wherever any surfer paddles out, the guy who's the best surfer usually catches the best waves and, and, and it trickles on down the line, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so equality um, sort of butts heads a little bit with meritocracy. You simply just well, can't have equality when, you know, you're out at 12 foot Sunset Beach. Guess what? The guy who's on an eight six is probably going to dominate. Uh, or girl. <laughs> yeah, right. So I think so the way that I would solve exactly that is equal opportunity. Let's absolutely put everything under the label of equality means equal opportunity, but let's not impose equal outcomes, right? So yeah, put the men and the women in the same exact conditions. And by the way, people get paid based on where they finish in, in order of uh, the merit that they achieved. You know what I mean? So I think the biggest advancements that the WSL has made is by giving equal opportunity, but it's absolutely insane to enforce an equal uh, outcome. Yeah. Let's, let's use firefighting as an example. You know who I want to rescue me from a fire, from a building that's on fire is the strongest person available to be able to lift me or my kid or my wife off his back or her back and carry down the stairs. Do I need the fire department to have an equal distribution of ethnicities that reflects my local community? Hell to the no, you know? If it means that there's no name the ethnicity in the fire department, totally fine with me. I just want the one who can carry the hose or the human being out of the building, full stop. Yeah, wow. Great. Give them the opportunity, give every ethnicity, every sex, the opportunity to go try out for the fire Academy, but you cannot mandate the outcome. Right. Well, okay. Look at you. Can I write you in on the ballot somewhere? Where do I, where do we, <laughs> are, you, are you, are you announcing right now? <laughs> Nothing to announce. I just, Okay. I well, think um, it makes too much sense. That's way. I just, I hate, the, I hate the blanket thing of equality. Like, hey, pat us on the back because we're pro equality. They don't even know what that means. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, well, look, we've got G Land coming up. Um, I guess it's May 28th. Is it? Yeah. So basically 20 days from now. Okay, good. I'm getting pretty fired up for that. Um, the boardroom's only five months away. Crazy. Five months got, from today. Um, I've got a story coming out of Soup Bowls. A listener who lives there wrote in, would you like me to read that to you? Or do you yeah. need a commercial break before we do that? No, go ahead. All right, let's do it. Uh, by the way, how good of a name is Soup Bowls as a surf spot? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, it's right up there, you know? It really is. 
It's enticing. It sounds delicious. It perfectly describes the wave I mean, itself. It's not pooper bank, but no, it isn't. Uh, I'm sure there's. They've got their own nicknames for soup bowls. Have you ever surfed there? I would love to. No, it's I have such not. A, such a fun wave. Oh my god. There was. It might have been in Surfer Magazine um, in around 2000. There was a photo feature. Ross Williams, Pat O'Connell, Saxon uh, was. Uh, there's probably a couple other guys on the trip, but Saxon, I think, got this wave. Of, there's a photo of him just in this perfect little tube, just as perfect, not a drop of water out of place. And the shape of it was insane. Like this, the, you know, wasn't a big square tube, wasn't a tiny almond tube. It was just like the perfect tube that was so relatable for me. And I just thought, man, I got to go surf there one day. That's on my list. You realize you just said Saxon as if people are going to know who you're talking about. You, da- <laughs> you dated yourself. There's only one Not Saxon. 1995. <laughs> um, so this listener wrote in and he said, hello, David and Scott, longtime listener. Yeah, guy, I am composing a note below to describe the situation developing in Barbados. I thought you guys might like to chime in and hopefully spread the word to bring pressure of change. I'm guessing this issue is rampant across most of the world these days, but the cringe is amplified when a billionaire aims to reshape the identity of a poor community for selfish reasons. Why is my note anonymous? Because I fear the impacts from the billion dollar fist in a semi-corrupt government. So why do people fall in love with the neighborhood then decide to relocate there only to change the original landscape that attracted them to it in the first place? The short answer is greed. Imposing a personal agenda upon a community when the changes are so incongruent with the local tapestry is by definition selfish. The issue is compounded when a billionaire outsider intends to impose their will upon a distant community where the mean income hardly affords basic necessities. That is exactly what is happening at Supol in Barbados. If you've ever surfed Supol, then you probably spent time on the slab overlooking the waves. It's basically a lookout point. And he says the view is world-class, a virtual telescope pointing across the trade winds of the Atlantic over reef towards the tropical horizon. It is a place where locals gather to talk about the waves, where taxi and tour bus drivers share the view with visitors, where local artisans sell crafts, where children play, where tourism is promoted in ads, and where elders pass stories to visitors and the younger generation. Here's the problem. This con- this coveted piece of community is actually privately owned, and it, but it's been undeveloped for decades. But many years before, there was a house there from a pre- previous resident. The only piece of evidence from the former residency is the weathered concrete bench and the old concrete foundation, thus named the slab. Sit out on the slab during a swell and you'll hear stories Uh, critiques and accolades of the surfers. People will congratulate you on a ride. They'll hoot you into a set if you're sitting outside. Uh, The slab is a church that meets every day. So why would a billionaire from New York who plans to visit for four to six six to eight weeks a year want to transform a national treasure into a private luxury destination for the world's elite? What makes him think that this is a good idea to insert a luxury villa into the backdrop of extremely modest homes and a large unemployment population. 
I can certainly appreciate private property and private ownership. I recognize that the seller has a right to sell to a buyer and that the buyer has the right to develop in the framework of the land and planning approval. But just because you can doesn't mean you should. Uh, why should this particular blank chairman at this organization and this surfboard company um, build a villa overlooking one of the best surf spots in the world? Maybe because he already owns a luxury home about one kilometer away. Maybe because he's an advocate for climate change policy, even though excess and unnecessary consumption actually cause the thing that he claims to be fighting, not to mention that the carbon footprint from the heavy import construction process. So when is enough ever enough for the rich? Is converting the joy of thousands into the pleasure of one worth it? Apparently it is to him. Why can't he strive to be a part of the ideal that he it was that enamored him to this location in the first place, rather than try to transform it to reflect his own selfish values? He knows it is easier to buy a seat at the surfing pantheon than to earn it. But again, just because you can develop the slab doesn't mean that you should. Yeah, you know, well, a lot to take on there. Um, but I think this guy kind of nailed it. I mean, I'm not sure there's anything that I can say that other than I support, I support the first part of his email where he was talking about, you know, um, the tapestry of the local community and what that spot means um, from a cultural perspective, from a local perspective, for, from all the stories and the vistas and everything that happens there and the taxis dropping people off there and, and the coffee and the probably the rum drinks that are, you know, take them that are drank there and uh, you know probably a few few ganja spleefs blown at the slab all of it's cool by me man i say more power to you and i'm um i'm just disappointed that he kind of nails it you know like like i said I, I i'm butchering it already but he that guy wrote a pretty good email it's also it's so easy to agree with him on his side because none of us sympathize with a billionaire you know, like we, we don't understand what it's like to be in that guy's shoes. Um, we much more come from the position, I would think, of that local community that is there. Um, so I don't really see an argument for the billionaire. And certainly he's right. Greed is a real thing. And that's what's driving all of this. The question is, if you find yourself in the position of wealth, do you operate differently? How do you prevent yourself from you know i think taking over it just gets foggy you know like I, we, we've never been there but i'm just assuming it gets foggy it's funny i was talking to a very very wealthy guy recently and and i was saying look you know let's assume that all the really wealthy people are the smartest people that's why they got all their money which is kind of a big assumption because there's a lot of old money just it's handed down well, it's also just not true. I mean, I know a lot of smart people who aren't great at earning money. You know what no, I mean? No, but, but yeah, I guess what I'm saying is when I spoke with the guy, I forget how it came out, but it was ba I was basically like, look, you guys are really, really smart. Like I told him, I go, you guys are really, really smart because you got all the money. You're killing it. You must be smart is what I told him. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, then how in the world couldn't you 
put up a better person than the than the president of the United than uh, Donald Trump? Like how how is it that of all the money you got and this guy's going to be your guy? Like this is the best guy you guys could bring to the table is this guy? Yeah. Like there's so many super smart guys that you could have put in. Like it just doesn't seem like that's a smart move with all the money that you have. It seems like you could have gotten a way better guy that a lot more people would have said, Hey, you know what? This guy actually has some integrity, even though he's really rich. Well, that uh, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding there. Of course. The smart, I said it. The, well, the rich guy <laughs> is saying we're putting this president into office because he protects our moneyed interests. Well, I'm not doubting that. All he's, I'm saying is there's, that's the best guy you got. There's not somebody, there's nobody he's the better. He's, he's there's the nobody one who's better. He's the best one to protect our moneyed interests because he's he's driven by that objective. I don't think so. so. If, you, if, if he if gets you impeached asked. twice and is a one-term president and has lost the um, you know the popular vote by nine million votes, he's not the best guy. That's my point. Like that can't be the best guy that you can come up with. There's got to be a better for, guy for well, these four tell years. Me Warren Buffett can't come up with a better guy. But come the point on. is, they they can't. Uh, they're not putting him into office. They're relying on Americans to vote. And he's the guy who could rally the vote. If you put Warren Buffett up, who knows who's going to vote for Warren Buffett, you know? All I'm saying is, you know, don't complain about Joe Biden if the, the other side of the equation is the best you could do, because that's pretty weak. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, in other kind of tangential surf news, but it'll be a lot. By the way, point. let me say yeah. this. I am a self-employed, hardworking, tax-paying son of a gun. It's not like I'm on the dole or anything like that. I'm busting, <laughs> my, I'm busting my ass here trying to keep the kids fed. And there's a lot of people like me. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, not like I got know, some government job. <laughs> <laughs> In other, uh, there's anything wrong with the government job. Don't get me wrong. In (laughs) other tangential surf news, but something that you can certainly point fun, poke fun at me about, Uh um, totally random. Did you see the coyote attack in Huntington beach on the beach? No, this is fascinating. Okay. So we already have to worry about sharks in the water. There was that story a month ago about Snakes. the dude in San Diego who got bit by the snake while yeah. he was changing, yeah. um, which is a real threat. I mean, not just in California, but obviously Australia, South Africa, um, Central America, pretty much anywhere that they're surfing. You got to worry about snakes, apparently. Coyotes. Now you got to worry about coyotes. Yeah. There's surf line footage, the surf line cam that's always running. It's dusk. There's a couple with their, like, I think it was a three-year-old, kind of a toddler age kid. The toddler's playing just 10 feet away from them in the sand. The couple's looking away. Coyote bolts into the frame, attacks the kid, tries to take off with the kid. The kid's too heavy, so the coyote doesn't get it. And then the coyote leaves. Then the mom looks over. The parents didn't even see the attack. Oh, my God. You're kidding. So this make the newspaper? Yeah, it was in the... It was on ocregister.com, has the video. Um, Gnarly. You could, you could just Google it. It's a two-year-old, not a three-year-old. Um, they then found the coyote. I, I, it always blows my mind that they can track down the exact animal, but they found the exact animal, <laughs> identified it through DNA, and then euthanized it. Um, 
but I think it's official. This story makes it official that Huntington Beach is officially more dangerous than Australia at this point. We got riots. We've got pit bulls on leashes. Got all the kooks in the lineup. I just Googled this. And you know what's incredible? Is that the city of Huntington Beach is now hosting a coyote forum. Shut up. Following the attack of the two-year-old girl on the beach. Like, what do we need a forum for? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Tito Ortiz is emceeing it. Uh, I mean, as if if Huntington Beach already wasn't freaking like the Florida of, you know, California, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Now coyotes are attacking people on the beach. I mean, that's how desperate the coyotes are, basically, is what it comes down to. Holy mackerel. I know. Uh, Did you catch up with Make or Break since we last talked? No. And then part of me is like, I read a lot about it um, on Beach Grit. And um, part of me today was like, you know what? I'm going to boycott. I'm going to be the only guy that doesn't watch it. Like, that's going to be my stance, which is super silly. I should watch it. It's my job to watch it. I feel like I've watched it. And sounds like. It sounds like the guys that do it are really good guys. Like, it sounds like a good, and I talked a lot about it actually when I was on a trip this weekend, I was with some formula one people and we talked about it. And Oh, by the way, I was in the middle of the country. I was in Indiana this weekend and people in Indiana were talking to me about make or break. Wow. Yeah. I was kind of blown away. And you're the only one who hadn't seen. They were like, they were like expecting me to know all about it. I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, Gabe, Felipe, Tyler Rados. <laughs> I haven't even seen it yet. Well, you're only doing yourself a disservice by not watching it because it's actually entertaining. It's good. I want to watch it, and I will watch it. There's a lot to good. watch. There's a lot to I watch. I know. Trust me, I, I agree with you that Ozark is a better use of your time, but <laughs> it's, still, it's still worth it. What about Slow Horses? I haven't. I prioritized Ozark. I finished Ozark since I saw you last. But Slow Horses is still on the list. So good. Um, So I've got a Duke and a Kook, if you're interested. Yeah, please. My Duke is one Mitch Parkinson for utilizing an e-bike to get back up the point at Snapper. (laughs) Without jet ski assist, he instead came into the beach and instead of running up the beach, hopped on the back of an e-bike and just motored on up. And uh, the WSL then immediately banned e-bikes from competition. But it's just hilarious that he saw that opportunity and the gap in the rule book and uh, seized the opportunity. I thought it was super funny. Wow. Well, um, I guess he was in the event because that's news to me that Mitch Parkinson, is he in the event? Yeah. How old is Mitch Parkinson? 20. Young Mitch Parkinson. Okay. <laughs> um, <a> lot. <laughs> I thought he was like he, Joel's older brother or something. No, 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 no. I think he's a nephew. Oh. Um, Joel's nephew or something. But um, uh, well, oh, I'm anti-e-bike in general, except yeah. in this one scenario. I think it's hilarious. You can't be anti-e-bike. There's just one everywhere because it's it's a it's a no win. You know what I mean? I, They're yeah, everywhere. I'm the, I'm old man scales, dude. Every time I see one, I'm like shaking my fist. <laughs> Get off the road. And they go freaking 30 miles an hour. And they don't generally, the riders do not obey the rules of the road. 
uh, as other bicyclists have honed over years and years. It's like you and I, is this the equivalent of a uh, motorized foil showing up in the lineup at Snapper, basically? So speaking of e-bikes and stuff that's going to just take a, take over our situation, even though we hate it, I was at the beach today and look what I saw, this sticker. Coastal oligarch <laughs> with a sprinter van. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> Seize the oligarch's vehicle. Guys, that is coastal so oligarch. Isn't that good? It is very good. I thought that was hilarious. It's the equivalent of a Russian owning a yacht, basically. That's exactly what it is. It's basically the Sprinter van is the oligarch's mega yacht. Well, the in that case, the um, uh, San Diego is Monaco because yes, or or Monte Carlo because San Diego is the birthplace of hashtag van life and. It's the funny joke about it is these hipsters who just want to live in a van and have a simplified life, but the van is $120,000, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And it's got every friggin' Wi Fi amenity known to, it's got it all, man. It's got it all. Yeah. Podcast Postal studio. Oligarchs. Seize it's the funny. oligarchs. It's very funny. Seize their uh, assets. My kook of the week, actually, I think this news story came in from Shukin a couple of weeks ago. He emailed it, but um, suing a hotel, a hotel for making a beach recommendation. So this was a patron, a guest at a hotel in Maui, asked the concierge, which beach should me and my family go to? The concierge made a recommendation. I don't even think it was a concierge. I think it was like a bellhop. And the guy then went to the beach where there was clear, war- clear warning signs everywhere saying heavy shore break, do not go in the water. He ignored those signs, went into the shore break, got pile drived into the sand, um, broke. I think he broke a vertebrae or something. He's not paralyzed, but like oh absolutely ended up like, you know, Horror. hurt, hurt. Yeah. And then sued the hospital. No, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sued the hotel. Yeah. Sued the hotel because an employee answered his question and made the recommendation of which beach to go to. <laughs> you, sir, are a kook. I could just see the bellhop going, oh, yeah, go to, that's a killer beach. Yeah, it's mellow there. <laughs> Knowing he's sending him to the YMA shore break. <laughs> I don't think it was that egregious. I think it's you're in Hawaii and beaches are dangerous. And we're going to tell you which beach is beautiful. Yeah. Read the signs. Yeah. Well, heed, heed the warning. That guy is a kook. I unfortunately have to go. I have a 430 I have to get to. I apologize. No, we've done our work here. Yeah. Um, but look, I did interview Jay from Jay Surfboards in um, Scotland. That's, I don't even know how to do a Scottish accent. But uh, that'll be coming probably a week from Monday or I don't know, every two weeks, every two Mondays. So I think. How did the conversation go? It was good. It was a great talk and uh, what a great guy. And so. um, Jay, Jay lost his factory to a surf, to a fire, his surfboard factory to a fire. And he's one of the pioneer board builders in Scotland. So I'm very curious to hear that. 
I interviewed Drew Brophy, who's in recovery from his COVID. Uh, I mean, truly on the brink of death. Um, death. I mean, yeah. literally like saw light and yeah. Yeah. his entire perspective on everything is altered. And he yeah. walks me through everything that happened and his experience being in a coma for 30 days. It's wild. Wow. So I want to listen to that. Uh, yeah. yeah. I've got that coming out on surf splendor. So cool. And we got the free scrubber giveaway, right? Surf splendor free scrubber giveaway. Thank you. Thank you for that reminder and a number of new signups too. So thank oh, you subscribers. for subscribers. Yeah. Look, everyone that subscribes $5 a month is in automatically entered in these surfboard gives, giveaways. And David, uh, along with myself, we're trying to keep uh, these board giveaways coming uh, each and every month, we hope. I've got one every month throughout the rest of the year. So um, as long as you're supporting us in that month, you're automatically entered. Sweet. All right. Well, look, David, until next time, adios and aloha. Aloha.